It's a jungle out there in the world of enterprise technology. That's why we launched Guerrilla Guides, short books that help you navigate the technology landscape. Now we're diving even deeper in our new podcast series, Inside the Guide, where you'll get to hear directly from leaders creating the future of tech. I'm James Green, partner at Actual Tech Media, and I'll be your host. Welcome to the show. Now let's go Inside the Guide. All right, everybody, welcome back to part two of this three-part series uh, where we're exploring how Kubernetes is changing the way that we do business and enabling new types of application delivery and new experiences for the customers of our businesses. We're looking at these things from a few different angles, and today my guest Peter and I are going to look at this from the angle of how it affects the shopping experience and the businesses of retailers, many of whom have lots and lots of stores. And so the ability to turn on a dime and change the way that they're delivering the shopping experience is very dependent on the underlying technology. And so we're going to talk about that. So um, before we get started, let me ask Peter to introduce himself. Peter, would you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is uh, Peter Frey. From Platform 9 Systems, I am the field CTO here, and I manage our customer success team as well as our solutions engineering team. So we I own kind of pre-sales and post-sales uh, delivery for Platform 9. And it's really nice because I get to talk to many different customers on a daily basis, whether they're prospects of Platform 9 or existing customers of Platform 9. And I get a pretty unique perspective on how they're using Kubernetes within all of their different uh, environments. I have a great background in the you know the Kubernetes space, and, and I get to talk to a lot of people, so I get a pretty good perspective there. Yeah, I imagine that's a pretty fun role. I, uh, I have a background in consulting, and my favorite thing about it was the exposure to so many different environments. And so your your role has the same thing. On any given week, you might see... 10, 20 different client environments, which exposes you to all kinds of different things. So I think you're uniquely positioned to have this conversation with me today. So of course, Platform 9 has clients in all different verticals, but today we're specifically thinking about retail. And we're going to talk about the way that the shopping experience has changed both uh, you know, over the last 5, 10 years and also in the last six to 12 months, because lots of interesting stuff has happened in the retail space. And uh, as technologists, we've had to be nimble and adapt to those changing requirements with the technology tools at our disposal. So when you think about retail and the customers that you work with designing solutions in the retail space, what are some of the things that come to mind as far as new requirements or new things that those retailers are doing to enrich the shopping experience? Oh, they're doing things across the board, right? So you're seeing facial recognition with the um, video systems, right? Giving a more personalized experience to their customers. Uh, you know, Sue walks into the store, she gets recognized via her face. They know her history of purchasing. Uh, a salesperson can walk up to her and say, hi, Sue, nice to see you here in our store again. And it gives them a lot more personalized experience. Some of the other things retailers are doing, you know, they're driving a lot more of uh, like curbside pickup, right? 
Uh, that's a, a thing that's happening as a result of COVID in the last year. And we don't think that's going to go away. It's, it's something that people are going online, they're finding what they need, and then they're pushing that to the store and it has to be a store near them. So there's geolocation and services that are around that. And then those customers are driving up, you know, and their phone might give a, a notice to the store that, hey, I'm within five minutes of arriving to the store location. And then when I arrive, my packages are waiting outside. So there's lots of technology sitting behind that and, and driving these different types of uh, experiences for customers. Yeah, I think just myself as a consumer, I would say that my expectations for what that in-person retail experience is like have really changed as I've grown accustomed to the online shopping experience and the the sort of richness that a retailer can provide me in that experience where, uh, you know, I go to a, a product page that has 20 different pictures of the item from all different angles and there's uh, a whole page of bullets telling me all about the item and a uh, recommendation engine telling me what else I might be interested if I'm looking at this thing. Now, you know, being a technologist, I have some grace here, but my expectations are increasing for the in-store experience to be equally rich. So for things like you mentioned, for, for them to recognize me when I walk in or for my packages to already be ready when I walk up, what is like the most interesting to you of the sort of fringe, very new stuff that your customers are doing with technology in the stores? One of the things I would talk to one of our retailers about, and I find it really interesting, right? And this was a, a makeup retailer and they're using virtual mirrors or even iPads to be able to take a picture of their customers, then be able to take an assortment of makeup that's sitting in front of the customers physically and say, let's try this one and see what it looks on you. And then they brush it onto a iPad and show it to the customer. So it's doing a lot of neat things, right? Lots of in-store compute, lots of audio video processing, and it's doing things like also reducing their need for giving out samples, right? Because the customer can now, you know, sample it without physically sampling it. I think that's a really neat use case that uh, I've seen in one of the retail stores. That's really cool. So obviously when this change happens in the way that we're delivering the in-store experience, new things are required from a an infrastructure standpoint to support it. And something that I've seen, and I, I would guess you see a lot of the same thing, is that the technology might exist, but the internal resources are not familiar with it yet, or, or at the very least, they're not experts yet. And so you see the possibility is out there, but hasn't quite made it to the team at the retailer yet. So that was a long way of asking you, what do you see in some of the retailers who are still trying to catch up? from a technology standpoint, like what does it look like today before they're actually able to support the kind of things that we're talking about? Yeah, great question, wow. Uh, so first of all, the infrastructure is changing, right? In the past, retailers would ship a physical server for a physical solution. And I'm thinking of uh, in-store video surveillance systems. It would be a, a computer with large amounts of disks and that's all it did. But that's a terrible waste of compute and resources. Right, and it's being done in other ways today. Then they might have virtualization in the stores, but it's you know delivered in such a way that in order to maintain and manage that, they're shipping people. So IT technicians that are going to the stores to install it, 
once it's installed and it's up and running and day two comes along and they want to add a new product or service, they send that same technician out. Lots of windshield time is what it ends up being. And if something goes down and Joe technician is over at store 13 and needs to be at store 15, he has to stop what he's doing over there, get in his car, drive over to store 15 to restore service, right? Whatever that might be. It's terribly inefficient. It makes for rolling out applications extremely slow. So now think about that same process, and I want to roll out a new application to this environment to support video streaming or you know music streaming or any number of kind of different components that are out there. That windshield time could make the delay of deploying new apps to these environments take an excessive amount of time. And I think that a lot of our retailers today want that sort of instantaneous upgrade of an application and new services to be deployed now versus 18 months from now and having a a long rollout plan associated with that. Right. So to kind of paint a clear visual there for folks in, uh, you know, a clothing retailer that I've consulted for, for example, they would have a half rack in the back of each store that had, as you mentioned, a you know, a big appliance that's for capturing the the video. And then they'd have maybe two node virtualization clusters so that they had some high availability there. And then it's a appliance for the VPN concentrator. And the, you know, by the time you're done, you got a whole half rack of stuff. That's not exactly nimble, right? And the maintenance of it, as you say, requires expertise. You can't send somebody from the front of the store running the register back there to troubleshoot. You got to, you know, in my case, it was call the consultant from the integrator up the street, or, you know, in some cases it's send the guy uh, from the next state over on an overnight trip to go and take care of it. With the workloads you were describing and the richness of experience that retailers are trying to provide today, we've got to do this a little bit better. Yeah, they really are trying to do things extremely quickly. If you start thinking about that methodology of deploying applications into the workspace, it's very confining, right? It's also relying on that person. If he's sick, then there's a whole other problem. So what our retailers are, are wanting to do is manage all their stores, all their real estate across the world, across the country, from a single point of a location, have the complete access to maintaining the infrastructure, booting it into an OS, booting it into virtualization or Kubernetes clusters, maintaining and pushing code to the applications that are going to be used inside those environments. And they want to do it from a central managed location. They want all alerts and alarms to go to that central managed location. So if something does break or is about to break and they're getting disk full warnings and things like that, they can go immediately and remediate those kind of problems without sending a person to the store and do that. And I think that's a big change. And they're trying to figure out exactly how do I do that? What do I need to put in place to do that? I've seen some of our most forward-looking customers really going, I want to roll out a new store. How do I do that? And so in order to roll out that new store, they want to build a Jenkins pipeline. They want to use that Jenkins pipeline to configure the networking infrastructure. So actually log into the networking devices in the store, configure the appropriate VLANs across the board. Once that pipeline's done, it kicks off another pipeline which then starts processing and looking at in-store compute. And today what this particular retailer is doing is they're booting remotely these machines into an OS, and then that OS is booting into virtualization. 
And I know that virtualization and containerization is going to live together for the future, but now they've got the capability to change that pipeline and boot it right straight into a Kubernetes cluster if that's what they wanted to do. So they have flexibility. They have forward-looking capability. They can manage it all from this Jenkins pipeline. And at the, when the Jenkins pipeline is completely done running, the store is completely up and online with all of the normal services that are expected for that store. The point-of-sale devices are on VLAN 110. The... Uh, the security firewall is set up the way that they like it. The streaming audio is running in a container on Kubernetes. The AV systems are running in a VM on, on maybe running in Kubernetes or inside of an OpenStack environment, but it's all up and complete. And then when they start looking even farther into the future, right, and they go, okay, we're running this app today. You know, previously it would take us 18 months to roll out an application into a customer. You know, we'd start at store one, go to store two, and go to store three. We'd cycle across the country from west to east, east to west, whatever made sense for them. And now they wanted to be able to do that not in 18 months, but in weeks in comparison. So they're really slimming that down, which is now allowing the stores to have maybe a virtual marketing system that knows when Peter Frey walks into the store, gets a picture of me and says, oh, he's shopped here before. He's looked at these items and you can put that on the screen right in real time as I'm walking by that device. So they want to be able to do this. And they want to do it rapidly. Would it be safe to say that to summarize all of that, more needs to happen in the store to be able to deliver the experience that we're trying to deliver? Is that yeah, to, to deliver those kind of real time experiences, the compute needs to be running local to the store. You imagine sending video across the internet to a cloud provider doing analytics on it and then sending it back to the store. You'd never get it done in time. Yeah, it never happened. I'll be long past that store. Yeah, so the processing needs to happen in the store. For data gravity reasons, the data needs to be crunched inside of the store. And then the other thing is the stores need to be kind of self-contained because like you said, they might want to turn up a new one over here or they might move one from there to there and it gets tricky when everything for the entire company lives in one sort of monolithic data center environment. Things can get tangled up and it's hard to separate one from the other. And it sounds like a lot of your more progressive customers are building each one of those retail nodes as a standalone piece of the infrastructure that then connects back to the mothership. Is that true? Yeah. And even beyond that, right? Think about it. The the store when they roll out a new application, they're not going to roll it out fleet-wide. And often they want to test an application in production to see what it's looking like. And what is my customer response to it? Do my customers like this, right? It's a cool idea, but does it work? Is it real? So they may roll out something to 10 marquee stores and test it there first. And then they might roll that out to the next 100 marquee stores and then get to all the rest of the stores in a sequence after that. So being able to classify your stores and do different kinds of technologies in the stores as test centers is another kind of a big deal for rolling out apps quickly. Yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned at the outset, we're kind of looking at how the changing requirements here can be supported by using Kubernetes. And so I want to talk a little bit about Kubernetes and then come back to what needs to change. For anybody who's not already connected the dots here, can you explain, first of all, what is Kubernetes at the highest level? And then what is it about Kubernetes that makes it an ideal tool 
for supporting some of the requirements we've just described? Sure. So Kubernetes is an orchestration engine for containers. It allows you to run you know, a Kubernetes cluster on a set of machines or virtual machines, if you wanted to, on in-store compute. It provides a declarative way of defining what an application looks like. It then takes the responsibility for maintaining and keeping that application up and running. If you need, you know, multiple replicas, it maintains that state for that application. Even if uh, the infrastructure underneath changes, it will continue to monitor that application the way it's been declaratively defined. So, you know, what we're seeing is that allows us to have CICD pipelines, like I described earlier with the store pipeline deploying the store. Now we're having those same kind of pipelines deploying applications into the store. And so a developer, once an app has been fully vetted in their in-data center replicated store environment, gets past QA and he pushes that new code to a Git branch, then that can be automatically pushed to these stores in a, a rolling maintenance window as defined by the stores themselves, you know, after hours for the stores and things like that. Okay. So with that piece of background, let's go down to a couple of these things that I heard. The first one is that the way that they want to procure and deploy hardware is changing. I talked about one place I've been, every store had a half rack full of equipment. That's maybe not necessarily the way that a lot of retailers would prefer to do it anymore. Can you talk about that, how they're preferring to put hardware in the stores and what that looks like today? Yeah, one of our customers is rolling out new hardware to their environment. So they go through an ordering process. They have a third party ship it and deploy it to the store. But once it gets to the store, they don't want to have to send a technician to put the OS on there and manage it. So what they're doing is build the networking in place. When that thing gets plugged in with the Ethernet cord and a power cord, that guy's done. And then the server boots and it may uh, boot remotely. So pulling an OS down and deploying that OS so it's configured with all the hardening that security wants on top of that. And then as soon as the OS is available, it can phone home and say, okay, I'm ready for my applications. And then Kubernetes can be deployed on top of that. And then when Kubernetes layer is finally deployed, the apps get pushed. That's done through 100% zero touch with automation in our most forward-looking kind of customers. In the old days, it's the person going to the store and the thumb drive, and, and he's got to be the smart guy. And if he runs into problems, then he calls support. They don't want to have any of that anymore. No human interaction. We're talking about the difference between a two or three day on-site visit versus somebody has to stop over long enough to plug it in. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you pretty much covered this, but the next one was provisioning. So the retailers would like to have a different provisioning experience that is both more nimble and also more hands-off. Along with that, uh, the kind of remote management needs are changing. Similarly, they don't want people to have to come on site to manage it, to do the upgrades, to do things like that. And so is it fair to say that either Kubernetes itself or the applications that they're building on top of Kubernetes are more friendly to being remotely managed across the entire fleet from like a central team of experts? Absolutely. Um, so if you think about the Kubernetes cluster, first thing that they're doing is they're using the hardware with applications much more densely than previously, right? They might get 10, 20, 30 times more applications running on a single server than in the old days when it was dedicated just to video surveillance. So they're using that compute better. 
Um, they're pushing apps more frequently to that environment. They have complete control over it as to what's running, how it's running, whether it's a current app or version two of an app, that sort of thing. Another interesting aspect of that is I think there's some pieces that uh, have historically been hardware appliance or whatever that just aren't even being replaced at all, or they're being provisioned in software instead. So maybe this is a firewall or it's the connector that sends the video footage up to long-term cloud storage or something like that. But I think there's parts of the infrastructure that are being phased out that are never coming back. They've moved from hardware to software. Yeah, exactly right. You know, you have firewalls that are going to virtual appliances. You have video surveillance systems that are going to virtual appliances. They're all running as containers inside the Kubernetes cluster, doing the exact same job that they were doing before. But now there's no longer that extra piece of hardware out there, which is another domain that can fail. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting there. So you talked about this a little bit, but let's spend some more time on lifecycle management. So of course, the provisioning thing is a big part of the whole picture, but once the infrastructure is there, the majority of the lifetime of a store, it's more about maintenance and rolling out new versions of the software and so on. How does using a tool like Kubernetes change the way that a business deploys applications and maintains them for the long term? Yeah, so we were talking earlier about the 18-month life cycle of a guy going in and inserting a uh, USB key, deploying an app inside of a virtual machine, going to the next virtual machine and doing it again, uh, managing it all in-store. That is completely changed. We are doing everything now remote from a single network operation center or a DevOps center where the teams are controlling each Kubernetes cluster as a production site and maintaining not only the life cycle of the Kubernetes environment, but each of their applications. So as code gets checked in, it can be deployed immediately in a change control window at night without anybody present, and it doesn't require that kind of human touch. Another thing that we're seeing out there is retailers are doing some other things like point-of-sale devices are, they are computers, they are physical devices, right? And that's not going to change, but they were then stacking up those physical devices with applications because they had compute resources there where they didn't have other compute inside that store location. Now that they're bringing Kubernetes into the store, they have new homes to run that. And the benefit to our retailers is that now they don't have to buy the ultra high-end register anymore or point of sale device. They can now start buying lower-end devices and using the in-store compute for deploying of these applications. So I'm just kind of trying to dream up a hypothetical customer here. What that might look like is the point of sale machine, which is the cash register basically, right? Yep. You could load on the back end of that also a separate piece of software to do the loyalty program, a separate piece of software to do some inventory management, a separate piece of software to do the timekeeping, like payroll kind of stuff. Yep. And so, you know, what was one dedicated machine sits there, all it does is take credit cards and was maybe 5% utilized. You're saying a lot of them are driving up utilization of that one device. And buying more expensive versions of that. They don't buy the cheapest point of sale device. They have to buy the most expensive one. So there's ROI associated with this too. So they buy this higher end machine because it has the extra capacity. So they can deploy these time card applications and all of that inside the environment. And now they've got the in-store compute. So now it frees them up to either use those differently or even 
by the lower end machines for future stores. So it's really a strong benefit for some of our customers. So with the amount of time that you spend speaking with customers, I imagine you've run into a fair number of them who realized the potential that we're talking about here with Kubernetes and gave it a whirl and wound up in over their heads. The reality is, and we saw this same thing with OpenStack, the promise is there, the value is there. You also need to be like a PhD to make it do its stuff or have a team of experts. And so a lot of people, as much as they can understand the value there, it's hard to do. Can you talk about maybe some of the walls that people have hit or reality checks with Kubernetes that some of your customers have run into? Certainly. Uh, you know, a lot of our customers are on that journey to Kubernetes, right? And they are working on how do I get my first Kubernetes cluster? Then they said, okay, I've got my first Kubernetes cluster, but how do I want to deploy it? Then they start Googling, well, there's 10 different models for it. There's KubeADM and there's KubeSpray and there's a million different tools out there. Eventually they pick one and then they have Kubernetes cluster. And they're like, great, I want to push my app out there. Which app? They start with Hello World. They push that guy out there. Now they've got an app running inside of Kubernetes. And then they're like, well, let's pick one of our apps. Is it containerized? Is it ready to go? It's traditionally run in a VM. How do I convert that? Then that's another developer experience in Googling. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, that app that I just containerized now needs persistent storage. So how do I do persistent storage in Kubernetes? And how do I do persistent storage in Kubernetes in a distributed world, you know, in multiple locations? So then they start figuring out, do I want to use host path or do I want to do something like Rook and deploy that? And then how do I deploy Rook? And what does Ceph mean? And how do I want to present that back up? Is it my default storage class? And then then they move on and they get all this kind of Kubernetes cluster up and running. And then they want to go into this whole story of how do I monitor this thing? How do I know my Kubernetes cluster is healthy? Uh, what tools are out there? And then that's a Google research project, right? Prometheus, Grafana, you know, Datadog, whatever's out there. Then they get into logging, right? You know, they have to figure all that out before they push Kubernetes into their first store. And then what they realize is there's two guys in my whole organization that have any clue what Kubernetes is. And then they say, okay, well, we want to do this. We see benefits in Kubernetes, declarative syntax, portability, deploying of Kubernetes-type applications with ease through CI/CD pipelines, all that kind of stuff. So they're going, all right, well, we need to hire people. Then they start putting open recs out, and then they realize finding those people is really hard. They're also very expensive. Hard to find expensive people that have experience in a DevOps way for Kubernetes. So I think most customers tend to then go, oh, well, maybe there's a managed service out there that can lead us down that path towards becoming successful at Kubernetes. There's, a, there's one more piece there on the end. Uh, hard to find, expensive, and because they're hard to find, everybody else wants them too. So if they're not happy with you, <laughs> they're gone. That's right. Yeah. Which puts you, you know, the business leader in a very precarious situation because now not only is this thing complex and tough to manage, but uh, you have a single point of failure in a human resource. Exactly. If one of your Kubernetes experts leaves, you're up a creek. You haven't even got to the day two, right? How do I upgrade Kubernetes? And, and what happens if etcd fills up? And what happens if a worker node goes offline? How do I recover from that? Who troubleshoots it? How do the alarms get back to my network operations center? There's just tons of things. And with Kubernetes and containers, the apps are, are closer to the operating system and very interrelated with Kubernetes. And if an app is going crazy, maybe it's taking that Kubernetes workload offline and maybe that's impacting other apps in your store. And so how do you identify? How do you correlate logs? And it's not just Kubernetes. It's the whole ecosystem that's wrapped around Kubernetes too. So think about 
Jenkins for your CI/CD and Istio or Linkerd for your service mesh? And how are you going to handle networking with multiple VLANs in your store so that your point of sale devices, which need PCI compliance, are only on the protected with data and flight network and your music streaming systems are on a more open network without that kind of stuff? So it's a whole ecosystem of tools. It's not just Kubernetes that makes it complex. So if you have decided that you see the value in the Kubernetes model and you're going to use it, I think there's probably no less than you know, six to eight other big, important considerations that get tacked on there as well. Like you said, how are you going to do networking? How are you going to do storage? How are you going to monitor it? All of those things as well. So when you were talking down the path that you see a lot of these folks go on, where you start here and then you realize you need that and then you go here. I mean, I could just visualize years wasted easily trying to get this worked out. Easy, easy. The first Kubernetes cluster is months, right? Installing Kubernetes is pretty easy. I can go to a, a tutorial, I can get it up in AWS, but it's all the other stuff to making it operational in in-store compute, as we're talking for the retail store, but it applies to every enterprise, right? And getting it to that state of readiness, that's the challenge. And you've probably seen people paint themselves into a corner too, because it's like, okay, yes, it's running, but because you deployed it this way, you can't do that thing that it turns out you really need to be able to do that for your business case. What a mess. Yeah, I mean, the storage problem is exactly that. Oh, I'm going to use HostPath. It's easy, it's simple, boom, we're done. Oh, but what if I want my storage to be redundant and on multiple drives? So if a node goes down, it's over here, and Kubernetes can reschedule my app, and it'll still have access to the data. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, lots of examples there. So obviously, the punchline is that there is another option. What you do at Platform 9 is help take care of this whole thing that we've just described that's a time suck and a barrier to time to value for your business, you help take that away for folks and help them get up and running quickly. Can you talk just a little bit before we wrap up about Platform 9 Managed Kubernetes? Sure. You know, I think as people go down the path to Kubernetes, they start seeing things as easy and they start getting that in their mindset and they realize quickly that it's complex and the people are hard to find and all that stuff. And so they're starting to look for simple decisions, right? I want an easy way, an automated way, an API way to deploy Kubernetes. I want something that comes with out-of-the-box monitoring. I don't want to have to go research, is it Prometheus and Grafana and Alert Manager, or am I going to use some other tool, right? And there's lots of them. I want out-of-the-box logging. So they want these simple decisions, if you will. And Platform 9 is something that offers automated deployment, Includes monitoring, includes logging, gives you options for uh, container storage. It gives you multiple options for container networking. It gives you the ability to have line speed access into pods if you wanted to. Simple decisions for CI, CD. But then the best thing about Platform 9 is we give you that support. We've got a world-class support team that is out there, that's been there, that's done that. Uh, when I talk on QBRs with our customers, they always highlight how great our support is. You know, having somebody to jump on a Zoom and get on a meeting with our customers' technical team to troubleshoot an issue until it's resolved, that's truly world-class support, right? And we can get there quickly, and we resolve their problems quickly. And it makes our customers sleep better at night. Not only that, we have also got an SLA with a guarantee. You know, so I like to think that Platform 9 delivers to our customers rock-solid production-ready Kubernetes. They deliver upstream Kubernetes, so straight from the GitHub repo, but it's offered as a SaaS managed service. 
we've got that monitoring and alerts team. Think of Platform 9 as a company that has your back uh, when maintaining your Kubernetes clusters. We got full APIs and automation around deployment, management, monitoring, upgrades of Kubernetes. So we take care of that burden for you. Uh, in fact, I'd say we got the simplest zero-touch Kubernetes upgrade in the industry, API or UI-driven. We're going to be able to run Kubernetes clusters on bare metal in your stores, in cloud providers, in your data center. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if they're on VMs or not on VMs. And it's all managed remotely through a single user interface across your entire real estate of environment. And we have a, a service provider, PCI compliance. That's a nice uh, addition with Platform 9. That's a lot of stuff you just rattled off that's taken off my plate. Okay, I have two questions for you by by way of wrapping up. So the first one is, you don't have to name any names, but just tell me like the state of one of your retail customers. What are they able to do today because they're using Platform 9 managed Kubernetes? Well, first of all, they're able to manage it from the bare metal in the store. They've never been able to do that in the past. They've got in-store compute today, but it, it's running Windows and some .NET applications. And it's running about 5 to 7% CPU utilization. And they're redundant to each other. They have to have redundancy, but it's built in at a physical layer with two separate servers. Okay, so we're taking those servers, converting them into a virtualized environment. Uh, this particular customer is running VMs. That's important to them right now. And they're managing those VMs remotely through those pipelines and, and some of that stuff that we talked about earlier. We're deploying new stores, doing it all remotely. And the best thing about it is their developers are developing in containers now. And so their first iteration is they're going to have Kubernetes running inside of VMs on top of this virtualization environment inside of Platform 9 Managed OpenStack. The second iteration is they're going to say, hey, we have no longer have need for virtualization. Let's redisplay all of our stores from the OS up. So we might get a new OS, new patches to the OS, security hardened. And now I have a Kubernetes cluster running in that store, and it's future-proof for them, right? And now they just redeploy all their apps and containers inside of that environment. And they can do this very rapidly. We can iterate over these things, you know, in days, weeks, not months and years. So I think that's probably the most interesting thing that our customers are probably doing. Okay, last question. Because of how many of these different environments you get exposure to and customers you speak with, I'm curious to know... What do you think is going to happen in the next year or two in this industry, specifically retail and the shopping experience from a technology standpoint? What is coming next? Well, so first, COVID has changed things massively for the retail experience, right? Lots of order online, pick up at store. So that's driving compute needs in the cloud or in their data center and compute needs in store and inventory management systems and things like that. So I, I think that's going to continue to stick around uh, as being a common model for people to buy, you know, and, and I think that's driving a lot of technology, geofencing, knowing where I'm at in relationship to the store to be able to say, oh, he's getting close, better get that order ready so it's at the door. So I have that good experience when I arrive. But they're also trying to figure out how can I give better in-store experience, the digital mirrors, digital marketing, all of that kind of stuff. And how do I deliver those apps very rapidly? So it's driving the need for more and more, you know, they still want foot traffic in the stores because then you buy other things. And they're trying to figure out how to make that experience more streamlined to the end user, the individual rather than the masses, right? So I think that, you know, you're going to start seeing more and more compute 
being pushed to the stores. You know, instead of two servers, it might be it's four servers. So you can do the video processing and the analytics that are associated with video processing inside your stores, uh, knowing who's there and that sort of stuff. So I just see more and more compute needs happening at the edge or the retail edge, if you will. All exciting stuff. Peter, thanks so much for chatting today. It's been fun and it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It was great. For more information or to connect with our guest from Platform 9, head to platform9.com, where you can also register for a free trial and download more helpful resources. If you want to learn more about Kubernetes, download the Guerrilla Guide to Kubernetes Operations at platform9.com. The link will be in the show notes. If you liked what you heard here today, be sure to hit subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. Until next time, thanks for going Inside the Guide.